Welcome to the Reach Podcast with your pastor, Matt O'Mealy. We've been in Ephesians. Uh, so far, we've gone through the majority of it. We are in chapter 5. Uh, and just to uh, let you know before we get into it, I'm not doing all of chapter 5 tonight. Uh, not because I don't want to, but because it's just... Uh, going to be more logical uh, this way, and we will do like the rest of five through the end of six next week. So that'll be a big sermon, so come prepared to listen quickly to that one. Uh, but starting in chapter five, verse one today, we'll be looking at uh, being imitators of Christ. And I really enjoyed the worship tonight. It was making me think of of the sermon about where we're going in Ephesians 5, because even just that last song, that Christ is our one defense and our righteousness, the things that Paul points us to, to understand about what it looks like to be an imitator of Christ, to be Christ-like in the way that we live, we can't live up to it on our own. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Spirit as we have seen, as we've walked through Ephesians so far. And it is only through dependence on God can we possibly even look like Christ. Uh, It is not that we have to try harder or be more righteous on our own. It is that he is our one shred of hope in all of us. Only in Christ can we find that hope. So following up from our study in Ephesians 4 last week, we'll see Paul continuing to apply the truth about our new identity that is found in him. And we will continue to look at some practical aspects. Remember, Ephesians is kind of split into two halves. One through three is Paul laying out the gospel and some doctrinal truths. And then three through six is Paul applying those things to more practical aspects of what everyday Christianity looks like. So that's what we're looking at today. So since as a believer, we have been called to put off the old self and to put on the new self, we are here in Ephesians 5 being commanded to be imitators of Christ. That's what the new self is. It is a new self that is being remade into the image of Christ. Uh, This is the third time that Paul uses a similar Christ-like conduct command where he's telling us to walk or to live in a certain way. Remember in Ephesians 4 verse 1, he is calling us to walk in unity or to live in unity. In Ephesians 4 verse 17, he's telling us to live or walk in holiness. And today we're looking at three different versions of this where he's telling us to live or walk in love and how we reflect Christ. So under this general heading of love, Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church and us to not sin so as to not destroy the unity and the holiness that the church has. That's what we're looking at today. So I'm going to pray and we will dive right into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, Zach was here to lead us in worship and that it was just put in my mind and my heart directly on your passage about what I know that we are going to be looking at tonight in Ephesians 5. Lord, I pray that you will open, open up your word to us. Help us to live and to walk in a way that reflects your son uh, your son who is our one defense and our, our, our one hope of righteousness is only in him. Lord, I pray that we see that in your word tonight as we study. Uh, thank you for all that are here. Thank you for uh, your word and how we have been walking through Ephesians together. Lord, I pray that this time is fruitful and that through it, we will become effective and productive Christ-like followers. In your son's name I pray, amen. Ephesians 5.1 says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So, Christians should be imitators of God because we are his children. Just as a kid naturally wants to imitate their parents, how are we then to imitate our heavenly father? By following the example of Christ. So number one, we see that in the example of Christ, we are to walk in love, walking in Christ's likeness by walking in love. Jesus sets out to be this ultimate example for us to imitate because he walks in love. And this isn't something that should depress us to think, oh, I could never possibly accomplish this, therefore why even try? Like I said, going back to even our worship tonight, Jesus is our one hope. He is our righteousness, our defense that stands in the place of, uh, of us before the Father and has taken our punishment for us. And so therefore we can have his righteousness. So we do have hope to be righteous like him, but it is a continued continual growing thing. It's not an instantaneous, now I'm righteous like Jesus. That is what sanctification is. That, that is why Paul is giving us this, this verb, this walk, or this live. Depending on your translation, it uses both of them. It is a continued growing thing. It's not an instant thing. It's something that we grow and we walk in love as we learn to imitate Christ. So we are invited to join him and to a uh, and to join our lives with him in godly living, a living that reflects him and his righteousness. We see this in his self-sacrificial nature, especially as personified on the cross, that we are to walk in love because that is what Christ did. We look to the cross to understand what love looks like. Jesus said this in John 10, 11, he says that I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So we know that Jesus one is good and that he loves us because he died for us. And then uh, Paul is saying here that he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. What that means, a fragrant offering, is that it was pleasing and acceptable. The payment for our sin to God was pleasing and acceptable. And so Jesus leads by self-sacrifice. He loves us. So from that, Christians, we can imitate Jesus. We can imitate God's love for us by the way we love and sacrifice ourselves for one another, even to the point of death if necessary. 1 John 3.16 says, For this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brotherhood. Paul goes on to point out some sinful behaviors in verses three and four, which are characterized by selfishness and a sense of unconcern for other people, which is the exact opposite of how a saint should act. A saint whose life is reflecting the selflessness of Jesus, not the selfishness of someone who is living such a way. Again, those verses say, but the sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So Paul is giving us a list of examples of life that is characterized by selfishness. This is where we can see the New Testament biblical ethic clearly because this doesn't give us a bunch of nitpicky to-dos that Paul is giving us here. He is giving us some key general areas of sin where we all are weak, where we all fail as examples of showing don't do this thing. Again, going back to our mindset of last time about putting off the old self, don't go back to the old self of the way you used to act. 
it looked like this, covetousness, uh, sexual impurity, all these things, but we are to put on this new self. He's giving us examples of what that looks like. This isn't Oh, this is open to interpretation, not as in like, oh, we can choose how to do things differently, but it's like, hey, here's a general thing. This applies really broadly. What, again, what is, what's my favorite thing about <laughs> the Bible? It's the greatest commandment, right? That is, that is open to interpretation in the good sense of it, as in like, how do I show that I am Christ-like? Well, I am to love others as I love myself, Right? How do I do that? Well, I mean, just, it is wide open. There is a bajillion ways to figure out how that's going to look like, and we are never going to measure up to it on our own. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to empower us and to encourage us and to give us spiritual eyes on how we can, all the way down to the, to the very bone and marrow of who we are, we can become like Christ if we listen to him and follow the Lord's will. It's not that we need a giant list of a million things to do because we'll never get it right. But if we follow God and walk in love as Christ did, then these types of things will never be named among you as is proper for the saints. Because this is God's will for you, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians, another section where Paul has written a similar thing. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 1, Paul says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk, there's that walk word again, or live, and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Right? So he's encouraging the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, I don't know, whatever, the Thessalonians in Thessalonica, how to know how to please God and walk in righteousness to please God more and more. Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? Becoming more and more like Christ. What does that look like? That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly, solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. To walk and to live in holiness. How do we please God? By walking and living in holiness. That is his will for us, our sanctification, by becoming more like Christ, by being self-controlled, controlling our passions and our sinful desires, instead of living like those who disregard their, their creator and they want to do whatever they want to do, we do regard our creator and do the things that he intends us to do. That is to walk in a way that is self-controlled, bringing ourselves under the control of the Holy Spirit. Similarly, verse 4 is pointing out that harsh or foolish or stupid or obscene speech should be avoided because they harm others. They harm people who are made in the image of their creator, in the image of God. It is dishonoring to them to speak in such a way. Instead, we ought to speak with, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, which encourages and builds up people. Going back to the last chapter, Ephesians 4.29, Paul told us that let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So a Christian should not be characterized or be known by a harsh tongue or always having to put their foot in their mouth in almost every situation, period. That is not how we should be known. Have you ever interacted with a person that you are sure of or even just not surprised to find out that they're a Christian where you, you, know, you meet you know, a cashier at a restaurant or whatever 
And you get to chit-chatting, and it's like, it is no surprise that this person is a Christian when you find out they go to such and such church or whatever. Uh, That is one of the things that comes to mind when I was thinking about this, of what looks like or characterize a person who is on a path of sanctification and seeing the Holy Spirit work in and through them. Part of it, when you get to know a person like that, is that shared spirit that you have with them that you just connect instantly because, man, we share the same Holy Spirit now, and I see that, I connect with that in you. But also some of that, even on the surface level, is they live and act in a different way. Uh, I'm a Christ follower, and I have experienced this several times. There were friends of ours in New Orleans who were unbelievers, and they would just blatantly say out loud, there's something different about you and Kiva. There's, you guys are off in some way. There's something weird that's going on with you. And some of those we got to celebrate with them when they came to faith. We experienced this when we moved to the Midwest following a call for church planting and ran into random other people who, uh, it was funny interactions where we would get to chatting and then those other people would be like, I'm not surprised that you're Jesus people. And then God used them to open up certain doors. I got a job at a coffee shop through it and a uh, apartment was basically just not handed to us for free, but they were like, oh, we can move in tomorrow if you want and just like gave it to us really quick. And it was just because we connected with other believers and we had a shared spirit and they knew, they recognized us by the way we were just talking. We didn't be like, hey, I'm a Christian. You have a you have a Christian discount on this apartment here? It wasn't like that. It was just, we were talking about just normal life stuff. And they're like, are you a Jesus person? Let me make some calls. And they just, they hooked us up as a brother and sister in Christ. Uh, so we have experienced this both in, in me meeting other people and being like, I can tell this person's a believer. They're just puking joy out of them in everything that they say and do, right? And I mentioned this about our good friend, Philip Jackson at the church here. The guy just sweats happiness all the time. And it's, Annoying, you know, but uh, it's, it's not surprising when you get to know someone like that, that they are a Jesus person. And in the same way, that is what we are being called to, that these things, these unrighteous things should not be known among you because they are not of who you are. That old self has been put off. The new self is to have been put on. So this, as a way to kind of tie a bow to this whole idea Paul continues to flesh out this command that we see here in verse 5. He says, uh, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? This is talking about a person that is characterized by greedy self-centeredness. They have no part of the kingdom of God, not because they, they are covetousness or whatever, and so God goes, oh, that's it, you're out, and they kick them out. That's not what it means. It means this person is already characterized by this. That old self has not died and been put off. That old self is still there and very much attached to this person. They are not yet on the path of sanctification. Another example of this is 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous being the person that is, that is personified, that their whole life, their whole being is still connected to their unrighteousness. They're not yet on the path of sanctification. It says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Just knock down your self-righteousness. And such were some of you. He just named everything there, basically. Sexual sin, anger, impatience, greediness. Who is not guilty of those things? And such were some of you, but you were washed 
on that path to sanctification. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Going back to Ephesians, we are saved by Christ and sealed by the Spirit according to the will of the Father. Are you connected to verse 11 there in 1 Corinthians 6? And such were some of you. Are you on your path to sanctification, growing more in Christ-likeness every day? Or are you still personified by the selfish, greedy self-centeredness that Paul is describing in all these different passages? So, if you have a part of the kingdom and you are walking in love, and if that is the case in your life, then number two, you are also to be walking in the light and to not be deceived. Starting in verse 6, Paul says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, walk in the light. Verse 6 is interesting. It connects the previous section that we were just reading in 1 through 5. And a lot of commentaries even put verse 6 with with that section, and they think that that's where the, the delineation should be as we're walking through here. But I can kind of see it both ways. But either way, the point is that we are to not be deceived in our thinking that these things, these, these sins, aren't to be taken seriously. Either way, that's the point. These sins are to be taken seriously. We look to God and to his word to know what truth is, not to man and man's opinions to know what truth is. We don't look to man to know how life should be lived. We look to God and to his word and we take those warnings seriously because God takes it seriously because scripture takes it seriously. Scripture tells us that those who practice evil are still objects of God's wrath as Paul previously described in Ephesians 2 verse 3. We're talking about being children of wrath or as another example, Romans 1:18, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do not be deceived to think that unrighteousness is righteousness. I think I've discussed that in here before. What is blasphemy? It is to call evil what is good and good what is evil. Do not be deceived. So let no one deceive you, as Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5. That is referring back to the first section in verses 3 and 5 about the sin that he is listing. Don't be deceived thinking these aren't a big deal. And then this takes us to his next instruction. Therefore, do not become partners with them. They are children of wrath, and such were some of you. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But you are changed by the Spirit of God. So as Paul is encouraging us over and over, do not continue to walk in those old ways of sin. Remember, cast off the old self, put on the new self. We turn towards obedience in Christ. Therefore, do not become partners with them or those who are still living in their flesh. They're still characterized and personified by that covetousness, the sexual impurity, the greed, all of these things. Someone that, that is just covered in that, that that is their identity 
do not become partners with them. That doesn't mean don't know them, don't be their friends. We're not talking about pulling away from the world. It's talking about right priorities. I'm not going to preach on uh, missionary dating, but there you go. Uh, Do not date an unbeliever for this very reason. Therefore, do not become partners with them. We who have started our path down the path of, of sanctification, we have taken off our old self. And if we are to be connected with them, we would be denying our citizenship then in the kingdom of light by going and connecting ourselves to the world of darkness or becoming partners with children of wrath once again. But we are citizens of a new kingdom, a kingdom of light. We are to live in a different way and be influenced in a different way, not influenced by them. Again, verse 8 has this idea of, and such were some of you, because Paul says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul's reminding them of their new identity versus their old one, that they have changed, and that this change is as dramatic as light going into dark. It's a very dramatic thing, light and dark. And Paul has already connected this idea of of darkness, going back to chapter 4, verse 18, where he's talking about the, the darkness that alienates us from God, God who is, as James calls him, the father of light in James 1, 17. Paul's already shown us that, this idea, this darkness and lightness. It doesn't uh, mean that, you know, it's not trying to make darkness an evil thing in and of itself. God's created all things, but it's just a very easy understanding of anyone across the millennia that dark and light are very contrasty, right? And one cool thing about dark is dark does not overcome light. Dark isn't a thing, right? Any amount of light pushes back darkness. This last weekend... At the Reach Retreat, we had a nighttime game of Tribes Capture the Flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the, the we had Judah and what did, what did it become? Gouda and Dasher, <laughs> eventually. Yeah, good times. Um, but with Capture the Flag at night, which you generally play it at night, um, some people apparently were complaining that we played it at night and we were like, when, why would you? Why would you play it during the daytime? Like, how would you possibly sneak around and capture the flag during the daytime? But playing at night, there are certain risks that are just a part of it. There are inevitabilities that come with running in an unfamiliar terrain in the dark. And we saw a few of our friends turn into statistics this last weekend. (laughs) That if you run enough in the dark, you will trip and fall. I saw a lot of, can I get an amen foot? (laughs) Yep. So, why is it that way? Well, running in the dark in an unfamiliar place is a lot like playing with fire. You eventually will get burned. Well, how do we fix this? You don't run in the dark. I mean, you don't play with fire, right? You don't do that thing. So, having been brought out of darkness, no longer associated with the dark ways of the world, we are to then what? Verse 8 tells us to walk in the light. You're now children of light. So we now are part of God's family with a new identity. Walk in that new identity. This concept is consistent with Scripture. Jesus uses this imagery often. He says in John 3, 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's John 3.21. Jesus also says in John 8.12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light 
of life. What Paul is showing us in verses 8 through 10 is that walking as children of light, we reflect the nature of God in our life through goodness, righteousness, and truth. We know this contrasts very heavily against our old selves, the old way in which we once walked, our old identity. This is very different from how we were before we came to faith. So how do we then discern when we have only known wickedness and covetousness and all these other things, how do we then discern what pleases the Lord? How do we figure that out? We can know this because we have his word. And he also calls us out to find out what is true by putting it to the test through discernment. We see this in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. By allowing our mind to be conformed to God, to his word, to the spirits leading our life, and not be conformed anymore to the world. And then we can test and discern that God's word is true. So having been renewed and taken away from the darkness of the world, we should then no longer take part or share in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, verse 13, that Paul is talking about here. They are fruitless because they don't, they don't bring anything good out of it. One thing that we see often in scripture is talking about the fruit of the spirit, but here we're talking about the unfruitful deeds of darkness. They don't produce good things. They are a selfish drain that have no benefit to you or other people around you. They suck the life out of you. By contrast, though, Christians, we live in the light. We then expose these unfruitful deeds of darkness by living a countercultural life that sheds darkness on the brokenness that surrounds us. If my life looks this way because I am following the Lord and his word, someone that is living a very different way in brokenness, with torn up relationships, with hurt hearts, et cetera, et cetera, it will be obvious. That is us shedding light on them. It's not standing and beating people over the head with the Bible. It's just by walking in sanctification as a child of light. You will shed light on darkness. This is what Paul means when he says that we are to expose these evil deeds. Another verse that comes to mind is John 1, or 1 John 1, starting in verse 5. 1 John 1, 5 says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting that walking in the truth, walking in the light, not only connects us to God, but also one another. Because that is what we are created to do. This is why verse 14 is here. It's actually an encouragement towards righteousness among believers. It's possibly a combination of multiple Old Testament passages from Isaiah, maybe even a quote of a Christian hymn that we no longer have access to, calling all Christians to realize their sin and to wake up from it. Where he says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is because the effect of walking in the light, we're exposing sin and living as an example in that, not just to the broken world, but also to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're all somewhere on that path of sanctification. We don't instantly know everything right away. Keith and I were having a conversation earlier today. You don't know what you don't know. 
And as you grow in your walk with Christ and you learn more things and someone else, some other brother and sister in Christ who is maybe a little further back on their walk with Christ, they see that change, that transformation in you. That is a testimony to what God's doing in you. That is an example of who Christ is through them being changed more like Christ. Wake up, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This is the effect of walking in the light, even to our brothers and sisters. One commentator pointed it out and describes it this way. He says, the gospel connects us to our present identity because it is the good news of our changed allegiance. The gospel connects us to the future judgment because it gives a gracious warning to those who profess lordship to Christ with their mouths, but deny him with their works. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 always comes to mind when I think about that where on that day there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons, et cetera, et cetera? And he'll say, apart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, because they just went through motions. They knew answers, but they didn't know the Lord. So what does it look like for us to do this? How do we walk in love? How do we walk in light? Well, this is only possible when we walk in wisdom. Part of walking in wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. So when we walk in wisdom is point number three. Starting in verse 15, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So because we live in dark times, we need these frequent reminders to, verse 14, to wake up to recognize what's going on around us and to watch out and be wise, verse 15. This is what it means for us to be discerning and to understand how to please the Lord by walking in countercultural obedience to the Lord. We wake up, we realize what's going on around us and we follow him and him alone. Believers are to walk or to live carefully and thoughtfully and discerning and skillfully following our Savior. Many of us end up walking in sin since in the short time that they have been believers, they haven't put into practice any of the things that they have learned. They haven't leaned into the body. They haven't leaned into the word that we are so fortunate to have. And they continue to walk in sin. But that's why verse 14 is so interesting. Wake up, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It is a call both for the unrighteous and for the righteous that are still walking in their old ways. See, we don't have to passively coast through our days and lack discipline or purpose as a believer. We know what we ought to do, that we are to renew our minds and not conform any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed, right, through the Holy Spirit in our lives, Romans 12, 2 again. We know what to do and that the Spirit is the one who empowers us to do that. And God gives us his word and he gives us his people in order for that to be effective in us. We need to trust him more and lean into it. Because only after we understand what God pleases, verse 17, can we not be fools and wisely carry it out in our lives, which we are called to do, verse 1 again, to therefore be imitators of God. To walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom, 
fearing the Lord, imitating the Lord. Paul continues to make this point about righteous actions through the end of this chapter here, but in verse 18, he's very specific about drunkenness. Paul, again, is making these general points about being filled up with the Spirit as the source and the purpose of self-control. Being drunk is a symptom of a lack of self-control, and it's an outward expression of sinful aimlessness. That's expected from the world, but those belonging to the Lord who are empowered by the Holy Spirit should not give themselves over to such things, but instead stand with maturity and, and stand in purpose in the way that they reflect Christ. Don't look at this command as though it doesn't apply to you because you don't drink or wrongfully use this to demonize all alcohol. That's not the point of this passage. I'm not given to drunkenness, but that doesn't mean I'm not susceptible to losing my control in other situations. If I'm not walking by the Spirit, if I'm not walking in wisdom and love and living in the light, I can definitely be given to certain things in life. Matt, in particular, I can be given to anger. And anger, if left unchecked, can become a dishonoring, hurtful rage where I would use unkind words towards people. In anger, it's really easy to feel self-justified and just let your emotions go unchecked because in your mind, you're obviously so right in this situation. Therefore, you can do whatever you want. But the problem is, man's anger does not produce God's righteousness. James 1.20. And it severely lacks the fruit of the Spirit. I can attest to this because my anger always lacks the fruit of the Spirit when I look back on it. It never has the fruit of the Spirit in it, especially kindness and gentleness. But I'm going to just say with a broad brush, all of them. Therefore, Matt, do not let yourself be controlled by anger and emotion, which leads to sinful rage, but be filled with the Spirit and self-controlled. Remember, we are saved by Christ and we are sealed by the Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. Therefore, as we yield ourselves to the Lord, there will be an increase in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Again, does that sound like anger? Unbridled anger? Nope. Does it sound like unbridled lust? Nope. Greed? Nope. Drunkenness? Obviously not. <laughs> That's what Paul's pointing out here. But all of it points back to a lack of self-control, of still leaning on who you were before you came to Christ. But that old self is gone and cast off, and such were some of you, but you have been washed clean. You are now on your path towards sanctification. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do not be in partnership with the darkness of this world. You are now walking as children of light. Move forward as children of light. No longer attached to the patterns of this world. Remember, that you are saved by Christ and sealed by the Spirit. You don't have to be personified by brokenness and darkness anymore. You don't have to be. It's not inevitable if you're in him. This is why as a believer, God's wrath is not in my future. I cannot, therefore, I can't assume that just because God's wrath isn't in my future as a believer, that I can just be lazy and go towards my ungodly pursuits or lack of self-control, et cetera, et cetera, and think that no harm is going to come to anyone else. Because that's just not how life works. It's a lie from the enemy to think that my sins, especially my secret sins, only affect me. They don't. 
Kevin DeYoung, a pastor and a philosopher and a professor, says this. He says, God loves us enough to tell us the safe path of godliness, and he loves us enough to warn us of the consequences of wandering from that path. Sin has consequences, whether or not you're a believer. So don't act as children of wrath, because that is not who you are anymore. And finally, let's wrap up here. As Paul gives us a list in 19 through 21, he lists out uh, several different things of what it looks like to have life that is a result of fruit of the Spirit in their life. In verse 19, he says, uh, where was I? Uh, Addressing one another. So be filled with the Spirit. End of verse 18, sorry. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we see five different things here. Number one, we see that we are to communicate with one another through scriptural, poetic, and spirit-filled songs, ministering and discipling to one another. That is what Paul is telling us to do, if you're not spiritual, or not spiritual, if you're not uh, musically inclined, well, I'm sorry. Uh, that's what we're called to do. Uh, we're, we're called to, to, to do that. You know, I don't really like poetry. I don't always get it. Um, but that's a thing that we're supposed to do. Uh, even though it's not, I don't think I can reproduce what some people have written in these songs, but it's true, man. Like you sing some of those, if you're thinking about what's going on, like tonight, because I've been reading Ephesians so much lately, I'm like, good Lord, almost every one of these songs has a snippet of Ephesians in them tonight. And it gets me emotional because I've been learning Ephesians. I've been learning God's word in Ephesians and I'm just seeing it plastered on the screen and we're singing it together. That is worshiping God in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it is a way of us through our own mouth, through our own art, through our own music to minister and remind one another to wake up, O sleeper. To wake up and arise and Christ will shine on you. Number two, we see that we are also to communicate with the Lord in our hearts and from our hearts as we sing. As we declare God's truth, reminding one another, we're also declaring God's truth and declaring to him, I believe this thing that I'm singing. Number three, we are to live in a state of cultural, or I'm not cultural, of continual thanks to God the Father, knowing that only in him do we have all things. So we are to be thankful to God. And out of reverence and honor to Christ and to reflect his attitude, we submit and we serve others instead of exalting ourselves. We'll flesh this out in more detail when we get into the rest of chapter five and then chapter six, but submitting to one another and loving them just as as God through Christ has loved them. See, submission is not about being a doormat. It's about uh, it's not about ignoring authority. It is a way of of giving self sacrificially, just as Jesus has. That is why it is God's will for us that we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because going back to verse number one, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be imitators of God. What did God do in Christ? Sacrificed Himself. So that is the bookend of this section of chapter five, but we are to be imitators of God and we are to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So being filled with the spirit, we live and we walk in such a way as to reflect this change in our lives. A change that is as dramatic as darkness and light compared to one another. So be imitators of Christ in all things by walking in love, by walking in light, and by walking and living in godly 
Christ-centered wisdom. The old self has been cast off. The new self has come. Do not be connected to the darkness anymore. You don't have to be. It's not inevitable. We've been given God's word. We've been given God's people. We've been given God's spirit. Walk in love and light and in wisdom. I say it as if it's easy. It is not. But that is, again, why we have God's word, we have God's people, and we have God's spirit. And in this community, spiritually speaking, we can have encouragement and joy and hope together. So as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God has called us to be together, to be unified going back to the verse of the month, to bear one another's burdens, going back to the verse of unity on the back of these reach retreat shirts, we are to, to strive to live in and keep the bond of peace that unifies us together. That's what we're called to do. It's not, a, it's not just a cool thing that we talk about here at Reach because we want to be a neat little family. That's who we are as Christians. That's who we are as the body of believers. And if what I'm saying sounds foreign to you, awesome. I would love for it to not be foreign to you. Use that as a flag to show you, I should talk to somebody about that. How are you walking in love and light and wisdom? Or which one of those is the biggest struggle for you? Where do you need encouragement tonight? I don't want to list all these things out and hear Paul railing against sin and for us to feel beaten down by it. I want us to look at that and be like, man, I am terrible at walking in the light. I am so easily swayed by the world. Would you pray for me? That is the result of what we need to do when we see God's word call out these sins is to get our hearts right with him, either for the first time or to reconnect in these areas where we have gotten a little bit lax or just haven't even been discipled on. Guys, this is Matt O'Mealy, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that is defined by real transformation and the sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.